It was a wonderful time to be with our grandchildren. Absolutely loved it. But I have to tell you that, um, you know, like we missed last Sunday. We were on a plane last Sunday morning uh, at the time that you were worshiping and coming back. And it is such a blessing to be back and to just be here on a Sunday morning and to worship and praise and to be with you. I, I was sitting there uh, kind of saving my voice so I wasn't singing. I was just listening. And I was just so blessed to listen to the praise and to listen to what we were saying about God and how good he is and how wonderful he is and how he forgives us. And, you know, we're, we're all so unworthy, but the Lord loves us anyway and cares for us the way that he does. It's just such a blessing. So I'm glad. I'm like, I'm really glad to be back. I'm glad to be here with you this morning. This is, this is already the highlight of my week just to be with you this morning. I wanted to let you know that Francis Fasuba uh, has lost another brother. Uh, we've, uh, for the last, I don't know, several years, it seems like every now and then, he's lost uh, one of his brothers, and he's lost another one. So we want to be praying for Francis and ask God to bless him. And then I just wanted to make a, a comment. Is it really possible that Ethan and Molly, like these kids, Willow and... Riley and every, like, is it possible, Trenton, that he's that old? That he's graduating from high school? Seriously? Like, I, I look at you now and I think, well, yeah, it, it's obviously possible. Time has passed. You've grown. You're bigger. But my goodness, uh, these kids are not supposed to be graduating from high school yet. They're still supposed to be learning how to ride a bicycle or something. So it's a, it's a blessing to see God blessing them and to see them growing and becoming the young people that God wants them to be. And I, you know, I look at that group and I think this is so cool that God has nurtured them and watched over them and they have a chance now to be uh, the young adults that God wants them to be. I just praise the Lord for that, that he's worked in their lives and brought them to this point in life. And they're still involved and around our church and it's just, it's just a, a, such a wonderful and beautiful thing. So, in case you can't tell, I'm a bit reflective this morning about all kinds of things. I could get emotional easily. Um, if, you are a, if you're an, a reflective person yourself, and if you're interested at all in spiritual things, but nonetheless, one who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, the fact is that you can still get something out of the idea that Jesus is the bread of life. Like if Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and you don't believe that he's the son of God, but you just believe that he's a good teacher, and he says, I'm the bread of life, he's going to still give you something to chew on. If Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and even if you don't believe that he's the son of God and the savior of the world, he still can give you some enlightening teaching, and he can bless you in some way. I think that's probably the case. If you don't think that he's the son of God, but he says, I am the gate, there are still some things in life that he can open up for you as the gate. And if you don't believe that he's the son of God and the savior of the world, but he says, I'm the good shepherd, there's still some ways in which he might lead your life along a path that would be beneficial. And even if you don't believe that Jesus is the son of God and the one who saves us all, 
When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, it's still possible for you to get some new life out of the teachings of Christ and to come along with him in a way that would offer you something new and better. But when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, that is something that gets in everybody's face. You can't just hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and then think to yourself, well, he's just a good teacher, just like everybody else, and he's got a place, and he can do something for me positive and bring me along. Not if Jesus means what he says when he says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And we, we live in a time when people do not like being told that there is one truth. And they certainly don't like it when somebody says, oh, and by the way, I know what that truth is, as opposed to you who don't know what that, who doesn't know what that truth is. They don't like that. We don't like to be told that someone has a truth that they absolutely believe is the truth and somebody else doesn't have the truth. We'd like to think that all of us have a little bit of this truth. And let me say one thing this morning, and that is make no mistake about what Jesus is saying here. When Jesus says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life, that is exactly what he's saying. And, and the Greek language makes this just as clear as it is in English in terms of using definite articles to say, I mean, I am the truth. I mean, I am the way and I am the life. And there is no one who is able to come to the Father, he says, except through me. And so we can't just let him off the hook here and say that he wasn't really trying to make himself exclusive. Jesus is, is not really trying to make it out as if he's the only one with the truth. Jesus was trying to make it out like he was the only one who has the truth. He presents himself here as the way and the truth and the life. And there really is no way around that. It always bothers me when people talk about how all the different religions were all on one path together. Everybody's oriented in the same direction. We're all going to God. We're just getting there in different ways. Well, if you would have asked Jesus about that, Jesus would say, "Uh, no, that's not exactly right. He makes an exclusivistic claim here, and he makes it intentionally. So we actually find ourselves, I think, in our world today in a little bit of a troubled spot. Because in our time, clinging to the idea that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life puts us in a troubled position. Now what's interesting, as we turn to John 13, and I do want you to turn to John 13. It's on page 763 in the Bibles that are underneath your seats. What is interesting is that Jesus makes this claim to be the way and the truth and the life in a context where people in his world and people very close to him were just as challenged by this idea and just as troubled by it, even at that moment, as what we are. In fact, 
Jesus himself, in the context, at this moment, is incredibly troubled himself. And so the whole context of these verses is trouble. And I want you to notice that. You're going to find that word coming up a couple of times as we read this together. There is trouble here. And Jesus is saying what he says right in the middle of this kind of trouble. I want you to look at John 13. And at first, this doesn't look like it would be a troubled occasion at all. It says in verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And that sounds kind of cool. Now, he's going to go to the Father. Of course, to leave this world and go to the Father means for him crucifixion, and he knew that. So he has some trouble on his heart because of that. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And so Jesus, as we know, takes a bowl of water, he basically disrobes, he gets down in front of the apostles, and he wipes their feet. But the response of the apostles to his wiping their feet isn't all perfect. Peter, as the story goes on here in chapter 13, specifically says, you're not washing my feet. I don't want you to wash my feet. And it's an indication, I think, of Paul's, sorry, Peter's inability to perfectly understand who Jesus is and what it is that Jesus wants to do. And it has to be a little bit disturbing, a little bit troubling for Jesus to realize that Peter is not in a place where he can say, I need to let you wash my feet as well. So Peter gets, he gets rebuked a bit by the Lord, and then he's able to kind of get this, at least at some level, and he allows Jesus to wipe his feet. But it's not easy. This doesn't go down real easy with Peter. If you look at verse 10, it says, A person who has a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. There's an indication there of some more trouble on Jesus' heart. Because as we're going to see in just a moment here, Jesus recognizes that Judas is among them. Jesus washes Judas's feet along with the rest of the apostles, but he knows who Judas is and what Judas is going to do. And that also is a troubling fact. Look at verse 18. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And so Judas is sharing the bread with Jesus. They're supposed to have a fellowship meal together. They're going to celebrate the Passover together. And there should be a time of joy and fellowship among them. And instead, there is great consternation because the betrayer is there among them. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. And by the way, the expression right there, I am he, ego a me, I am. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. So there's great trouble in the the heart of Jesus because he recognizes that Judas is there, and Judas is going to betray him, and he is indeed troubled. He's got the crucifixion on one hand that he's about ready to have to go through. He's got the betrayer on the other hand right there, ready to betray him and prepare him for that crucifixion. And the heart of the Lord is troubled. After he had said this, Jesus was, uh, sorry, let me look at uh, verse 22. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned a motion to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. 
Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I give this piece of bread uh, when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had had, uh, charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Jesus had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. And so there's a lot of trouble now on the heart of Judas as he's now in the process of betraying the Lord. And there's trouble on the hearts of the apostles, at least Peter and John, who don't understand what's going on. And, and John is putting his head back against the breast of Christ Again, with all kinds of anxiety, what is going on here, Lord? And Peter is saying to him, find out what's happening. Who's he talking about? What is going on? So there's just there's trouble at several different places here. Then you look at verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And by the way, glorification, the Gospel of John, almost always points towards his crucifixion. So he's got crucifixion on his mind here, troubling If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer and you will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. And you can imagine what that would do to them. So here he is, he's washed their feet. He's kind of indicated that he's on the way out here. He's looking to go. And now he specifically says to them, I am going to go. I'm leaving. And you can't come. And so he has built them up over three years leading toward this point in his ministry when something dynamic and drastic was going to happen. They think maybe he's now going to take charge of things and defeat the Roman army. And right when they think he's going to take control here, he says, by the way, I'm leaving now. And I'm leaving you behind. I'm going to leave you here to take care of all of this almost by yourselves. Now he goes on in John 14, 15, 16, talks about the Holy Spirit is going to come and and they're not going to be alone at all. But at this point, he hasn't said all of that. And so there's a great deal of troubled anxiety on the hearts of the apostles as they're hearing him say, I'm going to go and I'm leaving you behind. He says in verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another and as, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. But Simon Peter's troubled. He doesn't get this. Simon Peter asks him, Lord, where are you going? What's going on here? Like you've just washed our feet. We've had kind of a beautiful occasion here. But now you're talking about a betrayer. Now you're talking about leaving. Now you're saying we can't go. What is, what is going on? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. He's just, he's so confused here about what's going on, uh, not prepared at all for this moment. And then here comes the hammer blow. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And so what we've seen Thus far in chapter 13 is one disconcerting moment after another. 
This is one troubling kind of episode. We think it's so beautiful that Jesus washed the disciples' feet at the beginning of the chapter, and he does, and it is beautiful. But what we end up with is one question after another about what's really going on, and where is he headed, and what is happening here? And the disciples are very disconcerned. And then Jesus says, and this makes total sense in the context, chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And what's amazing is that the man who says that is on his way to crucifixion. And he knows that there is a betrayer who has already put into action the things that he is going to do in order to betray him. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And the only way that he can say that is that at this incredible time of trouble in his life, he is trusting like that. He himself is trusting. And as one who trusts in God the way that he does, he puts himself in a position where we then can trust him. He goes on to say, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may be where I am. You know the way, the place to where I'm going. And it, at first you think, well, these are very assuring words until he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And then you look at Thomas's response. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And so even in the midst of trying to comfort them and say, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to a place where I'm going to prepare things for you and you're going to be all right. Still, even at that moment, they're so puzzled and so filled with anxiety, and so troubled. They have given themselves for three years to this teacher in whom they placed everything. And it is not going well at this moment. And what in the world are they going to do? And so then Jesus drops on them this line, which I think is intended by him to be as assuring and as comforting and filled with a way for them to get through this as he can possibly give them. Jesus answered, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, we very quickly hear that they still don't get it. Philip is still asking questions immediately after this. But Jesus has given an answer that he intends to be an answer for all of humankind's difficulties, for all of their troubles, for all their anxieties, for all the things that cause us to question what is happening with our lives. You know, no doubt there is someone sitting here this morning. I don't know who you are, but there is somebody sitting here this morning saying to him or herself, Lord, what are you doing? 
And is this ever going to come and work out the way I want it to work out? Am I going to have to put up with this forever? And Jesus is saying, trust in God. Trust also in me. I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. And this is not a time for you to to abandon me. This is not a time for you to start distrusting. But this is a time for you to trust. This is when you need more than ever to put yourself in my hands and trust absolutely in me and let me lift you up because he makes the promise that he will. And of course, as the story goes on, as I said, 14, 15, 16, even into 17, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit comes as a comforter and is going to bless us. By the end of chapter 17, Jesus is talking about this wonderful relationship that we have between God and His Son and the Spirit and the unity that we all possess with Him in this. And it's just a beautiful picture of loving unity, fulfillment, satisfaction. Jesus promises to us that this is the case. Some of you might remember, uh, um, probably many of you do, the, the movie Twister. You know Twister? Big tornadoes. You know, it's probably that movie that taught me about F3s and F4s and F5s. F5s are big. They're massive. People get killed by F5s. And right at the end of the movie, Bill and Joe, which is Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt, they're running through a cornfield trying to get away from this massive F5 that's on their heels. I think it's kind of interesting in the movie how they can outrun a tornado, but they do. And, and right through the cornfield, like they're not going to stumble over the corn and fall down or anything, but they, they run through this cornfield with this F5 tornado right on their heels. And they eventually, they go into a barn. And when they go into the barn, they find some pipes that are there, this kind of a, the pipes come out of the ground and they're like this. And he looks at this pipe in the ground and he says to Helen Hunt, he says, these pipes must go 30 feet down. We'll tie ourselves to them. And so he pulls out a leather strap off the wall of the barn and maybe takes his belt off, I can't remember, and and lashes uh, this leather strap around the two of them and around this pipe, and then the tornado comes. And if you've seen this, you'll remember there's this, it's it's kind of a a quiet, ethereal, beautiful picture as the the heart of the tornado comes over them. They look up and their their feet are, you know, fluttering in the, in the wind of the tornado and they're looking up at this beautiful spiral and the music is playing and it just sounds so beautiful. And it's all a metaphor for how their love, the two of them, they're supposed to be grounded in the love that they have for one another. And the notion of these pipes going 30 feet down into the ground, it's the idea is that you ground yourself in something so solid that all the troubles of life aren't going to pick you up and carry you away. And in the movie, it kind of works. It's kind of corny, but it kind of works. Here, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Lash yourself to me. My roots go deep, far deeper than 30 feet. And to me, you can hold fast. And when the winds blow and things howl, you can be saved even in the midst of that. And not just saved, but this kind of fulfillment and blessing can come to you, even when it looks like everything else around you is in disarray. So the question this morning is, what are we going to do 
with this trouble that is ours. The world challenges us on all kinds of fronts about who Jesus is. And, and, and even if the world isn't challenging us in terms of our faith and saying to us, why don't you give up on this silly myth about Jesus? Nonetheless, there are all kinds of things that come our way that confront us and we think, am I going to get through this? And is the Lord really there? Is he really ministering to me in the midst of this? Is he going to carry me through? And Jesus just keeps making this promise. Stick with me. I really am the way. I really am the truth. I really am the source of vibrant life for you. And you need to stay here. Hold fast and believe. We choose sometimes to look all kinds of places. And all the while, Jesus says, no, no, no. Don't look elsewhere. Just look to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, he says. Those who believe this, and stay there, are going to be greatly blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us your Son, and through him you have said, stay with me, cling to me. You have revealed yourself to us. You've shown us what is true ultimately about our existence, that you stand as the truth. And Father, I pray that each person here would put him and herself completely into your hands and that our hearts and our lives, even at the most troubled times, when the, the, the most strong challenges come, that you'll enable us to remain absolutely committed and faithful to you as the center of life. We pray through Jesus. Amen.